um, you know, as you get older, like I mentioned this a lot in these like milestone moments, but as you get older, you notice is how fast like time flies by. And I'm, I'm a little nervous because if it's at the rate that I'm experiencing it, like when I'm 60, it's just going to be like, and I'm just going to be gone, you know? So, um, it's a little scary, but you know, let's, we, we really want to make every moment count uh, in life, um, that God gives us. And uh, it's, it's Easter time, you know, it's the time of Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this week is what, what is known as Passion Week. Um, this is the week that Jesus entered Jerusalem, uh, riding a donkey, riding a, um, a colt, as they, as some versions say in the Bible. And they got palm leaves, um, and started to like, worship him and just declare Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, you know, and they were, they were worshiping and declaring him the king as he entered into Jerusalem the last time. So this is Palm Sunday and then throughout this week is Passion Week, which leads to um, Good Friday, which will be this Good Friday. Um, I was thinking about having something uh, for Good Friday here, but because this is not like our permanent sanctuary space, it's kind of hard for us to um, just use it whenever we want. And so I don't think we're going to be able to have something um, for Good Friday here. But I w- would like you guys to remain prayerful. Uh, but this week, I want to encourage all of you guys to read this week in the Gospels. It's a, it's, it's a really good thing to do. Um, whether it's, you know, read all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go find this last week of Jesus' life and read it um, and meditate on the Scripture and let it sink in. Um, and this is kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to read a quite a long uh, chunk of scripture. Uh, we're going to read almost uh, um, from John 18, half of John 18 and all of John 19. And we're going to look at it today. And we want to kind of read it in this chunk because when you, you know, you, you read like a passage here, passage there. But this is like like a very important um just this time in history for Christians and for the life of Jesus Christ. And we really want to do it justice by reading it um, all in one go. And so we're going to read. I think Molly's going to be able to bring it up on the on the screen if you guys can't see. If you guys don't have a Bible, um, I'm sure all of you guys have smartphones. But we're going to read John um, 18, 28, all the way to the end of John 19. And this is going to tell the story of Jesus appearing for Pontius Pilate and um, him like, you know, being tried and him, you know, carrying the cross, um, and dying on the cross for our sins and, um, being buried. And so we're going to read a, a big chunk of this, um, account that John gives us. And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's turn to John 18 and I'll start reading from verse 28. Okay. And then, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord or did others say it to you about me? 
Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in, this, in him. But you, have a custom, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their, with their hands. Pilate went out and said, and <clears throat> said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to, be, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to you, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would not have, you would have no authority over me at, at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore he, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The, the priest, the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is in, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and set it on the cross. It said, it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into the four parts, 
one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who, shall, who it shall be. This was to fulfill the scriptures, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciples, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciples took him, took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and bowed his head, and, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look upon him who they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as, it, as is the custom, burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So, so, so because of the Jew, Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. And so um, that's a lot of reading that we just did. Uh, like I said earlier, I think it's important that we kind of read it together um, as a body and really get the bigger picture of what's happening in this in this time in Jesus' life. Now Jesus, he's been arrested. Um, he's been betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. He appears before Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who's the high priest. You know, he, Caiaphas is supposed to be the spiritual, like, head of the people of, of, of Israel, the Jewish people. And yet, they are the representation of the sentiment of this religious elite, the religious leaders, and they hate Jesus. You know, and it's nothing to do with, like, their love for God, but everything to do with their pride, their greed, and their place of honor in society. You know, Jesus was talking about some radical things. He was saying things that were just kind of blowing them away. He was talking about being the Son of God, right? 
He was talking about Gentiles having a relationship with God. He was talking about, you know, you guys are hypocrites, calling them out. He was talking uh, that they're a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs that are filled with dead men's bones. And Jesus was, he also like, you know, he when he went to the temple and cleansed the temple, he flipped over those tables, the money exchangers, and and you know the people that were selling animals. Um, they were, he was basically dipping into the pocket of Annas and Caiaphas and this family who was in charge of temple worship. I talked about that last week. And so they were, they were messing with their money. And he was doing miracles upon miracles and preaching these amazing sermons and people are starting to follow him. And he's, and, you know, and, and, and their, their first thought is if this guy continues to do this, we're not going to be on top anymore, right? We're not going to be the, the the people that are important anymore, right? Never mind that he just raised the man from the dead. And their hearts are so hardened that they can't see God or hear Him. He's standing before them, right? Standing right in front of them, but it it just goes over their heads and they miss Him. And there's a reason why the Bible tells us to guard our hearts with all vigilance, right? And Proverbs says, guard your hearts. With all vigilance. Guard it because it, from your heart is a wellspring of life. Your, your life flows from your heart. So you have to protect your heart. And protect it because when it starts to get hard, when your heart starts to get hardened, you can't see God, you can't hear God. And these religious leaders, it's a warning to us because what will, what will harden our heart is what these men were doing. Right? They got self-focused. Right? It's me, right? They're like, my righteousness, right? right? What matters is my righteousness. Look at all these things that I'm doing. Look at all the things that I'm tithing from. Look at all of the ways that I'm purer than the next man. Me, 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 right? And then, and then, in, in their self-centeredness, they get judgmental. You know, they, they look at others that are less than them and they're like, oh, they're not as they're righteous or clean as me. I, I never let anything, I don't touch anything that's like undefiled or unclean. And, and ultimately, their righteousness is, is basically their pride. You know, I'm not, you know, like being self-focused is being prideful. I'm not prideful, I'm just looking out for myself. Well, that's what pridefulness is. And you think you're better than others. You think you're more important than others. Like, like my issue, my problems, the things that I'm going through is what's most important. And, and, and at the center of that is pride. And I'm not talking about non-Christians here. I'm talking about you guys, the church, believers. And this is, can harden our hearts when we start to focus on ourselves. And they also took their eyes off of God and they set their things on worldly things and their money. You know, like influence, greed, possessions in their hearts were hardened. And this is a warning to us. Right? When we, we always think, oh, those religious Pharisees, I'm not like the Pharisees. The Pharisees is not a warning against non-Christians, it's a warning to Christians. It's a warning to you and me. We always think like, oh, like those Pharisees are talking about Jewish people. You know, when the Bible talks about Pharisees, it's talking about like these people that don't know Jesus. No. When the Bible is talking about the Pharisees and the religious scribes and the religious leaders, they're talking to us. It's a warning to us. If you're getting all self-focused, self-centered, or your focus is on the things of the world, your heart will get hardened. 
And when the, when your heart gets hardened, you're not going to be able to hear God. You're not going to be able to see God. And here's the thing: no one wakes up one day and decides, you know what? I'm going to harden my heart today. Right? Who's ever said that? Has anybody woke up, woken up, and said, you know what? I'm going to harden my heart today. Right? No, nobody starts out the day. Nobody just starts out to harden their hearts. These religious leaders, when they began, they began with zeal in their hearts. They wanted to know God. They wanted to, 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 you know, like experience God. They wanted to know more about God. They came with good intentions in the beginning. They, th- they thought they were helping people. They thought that they were worshiping God. But what happened? Pride, greed, self-preservation mode, self-promotion mode, and it sneaks up on you. And all of a sudden, the Son of God is standing before you, and you miss Him completely. And so they're like, we gotta, we, you know, like, we gotta get rid of this guy. And this is what the, the religious leaders were, were, were in the midst of. Their hearts had gotten so hard. They had fallen away so far from God. And yet they didn't even know it. They thought they were the most righteous and, and, and the most right before the Lord. And at the same time, Peter, one of Jesus' closest, most intimate disciple, denies him three times. And we talked about last that last week. It's about self-preservation mode, right? He, he just wants to protect himself. He just doesn't want to get into trouble. Now, Jesus is led from Caiaphas' house to the governor's headquarters, Caiaphas and Annas. You know, it says that they don't enter the headquarters of the governor because they don't want to be defiled. Right? They don't want to be, you know, like in the in the same house as a, a Roman official. You know, like Rome and... And anything that's not like Israel and Jewish was considered defiled. And so they didn't want to go in there because they wanted to be clean for Passover. And you, you can see the hypocrisy of these men. All they care about is how they be, appear on the outside, how they appear to their fellow religious elite. When inside, they're filled with greed, pride, hate. Now, what I want to focus on today is Jesus and his interaction with Pilate. Pontius Pilate, right? When I was little, I always thought he was like a pilot that he used to fly airplanes, right? Like, and then I thought that it was like, you know, like a guy named Pontius who was a pilot. But that's his name. Pontius Pilate is a Roman name. Was the governor of Judea during the time of Jesus. And the religious leaders bring Jesus to Pilate to basically sentence him to death. Because according to the Jews, it wasn't lawful for them to put anyone to death. That's like really not true because they stoned Stephen, right? They stoned Stephen... Like, like, Paul persecutes Christians, right? Well, I believe what, what happened here was that the religious elite didn't want, have blood on their hands, right? They didn't, they didn't want to be, like, those savages in the street could stone Stephen, but we, religious elite, were not going to stoop down to this level. And so they bring him to Pilate so that they can, they can have him killed. And so Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You know, these men are calling you, a blasphemer, they want to put you to death. Are you really claiming to be what they say you are claiming? And he's basically saying, what have you done, man? Why, why do these people hate you so much? And Jesus responds in this way. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And one of the things that we can really draw from what Jesus says here is that the kingdom of God is radically different than that of the world. Jesus is saying, if, if I was like a king, like one of the kings of this world, I'd be fighting, right? 
My disciples would be like fighting. They would have swords. They'd be kicking people. and be like, get off, get off my Jesus, right? Get off my king. And he wouldn't even be on trial. He would probably like, like if he was like a king, he would have, you know, like went and poisoned all his enemies so that, you know, he could take power. But because, you know, the world is all about power, wealth, influence, fame, pride, right? But Jesus, he is king. He is the king of the world. He is, you know, he is the king of kings. But what is his path? What does he do? He humbles himself. At any point in this situation or this scenario, Jesus could have called down a legions of angels. And to take, put that into perspective, it only took two angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The two angels came and, and, and entered Sodom. And two angels came, come down and destroy, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. He could have called down legions, he says in one gospel. But what does he do? It's not like he didn't have the power. He had all of the power of God. He was God. And yet he humbled himself. Because that's the way of God. That is the way of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is radically different than that of the world. I want you guys to keep that in mind. A worldly king would have fought back. But what does Jesus do? He remains quiet. He remains meek. And when Pilate says, so you are king, he's like, so he's like, so you are king, right? And then Jesus says, you say that I am king, but for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come to the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus comes, he's declaring his purpose as king in his kingdom. This is his purpose. This is why he came. He came so that he may die. Executed on the cross. He's not here to exalt himself. He's not here to, to, you know, go around like, respect me, right? If I was, if I was a king, and you guys didn't know I was a king, you know what I'd be telling you guys? I'm your king, right? Like, bow down, right? Respect my authority, but what does Jesus do? He remains quiet. And he says, this is my, this is my purpose. He didn't come to exalt himself. He's saying, this is my purpose. To die like a criminal. And now Pilate, he's a little freaked out. Because he's, he expected, like, what he expected from Jesus was what, like, an average person would do. Like, deny it, you know, like, you got the wrong man, right? When I got arrested, I'd be like, you got the wrong man, I didn't do it, right? I'm innocent, right? Pilate was expecting Jesus to be like, you got the wrong man, right? This thing, they're not, he's not, they're not talking about me, right? But what does he do? He remains quiet. And this kind of freaks Pilate out because later on he says he was even more afraid. He's, and he says, this is, this is my purpose. I'm here so that I can die. And when Pilate beholds Jesus, he sees no guilt in him. Even Pilate is able to see that Jesus, he's different, right? There's something about this man. There's something about Jesus. And so he tells him that, you know, it's customary for you guys to ask for one of you know, the prisoners you know, who should I release? Does Jesus, king of, you're king of the Jews, or should I release Barabbas? It was a robber, right? He was, was a thief. And then they cry out, not this man, but we want Barabbas. It's an indictment against the heart of these men. How hard their hearts have gotten so that, you know, Jesus, the Son of God, is standing before them and they cry out for a thief, a robber, to be released instead of Jesus. Now, hard 
how hardened has their heart gotten? And Jesus, you know, he willingly walks the path of crucifixion. He willingly walks this path. He's flogged. He's whipped. I don't know if you guys ever heard of how they whip people in Roman times, but you guys probably heard of the cat of nine tails, right? But it actually is called the Roman flagrum, right? And I don't know if you've ever done any research on this, but it was like, this, this is, is a torture device, right? And it had these strips of like really hard leather and on it were these barbs, you know, like what barbed wire is made of. They would like put little barbs and little bits of like, you know, like really like hard metal into it and they would weigh each end down with like solid lead balls so that when you hit somebody in the back, it only, it not only just like sinks into their skins, but when they pull it away, it rips not just skin, but meat, and all of a sudden you whip him enough and it goes all the way down to the bone, right? That's how, Romans were like, were like experts at torturing people, right? They really were. I don't know if you've ever done like History Channel and how, how Romans would like, they conquered most of the known world at the time and it was because of their brutality. So Jesus is whipped, he's beaten, they make a crown of thorns, out of him, out of, out of like thorns, right? And it's not like they just like gently place it on his head. They cram it down. Why make a crown of thorns unless you're going to inflict pain? And so they cram it down onto his head and it's going deep into not just the skin, but into the skull. And he's beaten. He's tortured. And all the while, the Jews are crying out, crucify him. Crucify him. But Pilate responds to them, I see no guilt in this man. And they're like, and we have a law that has that this guy has to die because he says he's the son of God. And it says that Pilate was not even more afraid. And he goes up to Jesus and he's like, like where are you from? Right, where are you from? And Jesus, he remains silent. And Pilate says, you want to speak to me? Do you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? But Jesus answered him, you... You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. He says this amazing sentence. He's like, he's like, you have no part in this decision. Whatever authority you have in this situation is given to you by God. And he's just saying, this is the plan. Right? This has been the plan all along. And Pilate is freaked out. You know, he's like, he, he can, he can like, he can understand somebody that's like begging for mercy. No! But he sees this man who's calm and collected and saying like, hey, this has been the plan all along. And he's a little freaked out. He, he's seen, he's never seen an innocent man willing to die. And he should be begging for mercy. Why is he so calm? How is he in such control? And that question comes because Jesus gave him the answer earlier. He said, because my kingdom is not of this world. And what we see at the crucifixion is a picture of the kingdom of God. It's a display of what the kingdom of Jesus is all about. The world will say, save yourself, fight back, beg for mercy, but Jesus goes willingly. And the words of Isaiah is fulfilled. Isaiah 53.7, it says, he was, a, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. It was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before it shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And so Jesus is forced to carry his own cross to the place, it's called Golgotha, it's a place of a skull, and he's nailed to that cross. 
And, and it's not just, it's, you don't, they don't really nail it to their hand per se because it would just rip right off. They nail it in between the two bones right here in the wrist. And they would nail his hands and they would nail his feet. And they would hang him to a cross. And, you know, you have to understand that crucifixion didn't kill you through the loss of blood. Uh, you think, oh, he, he would bleed to death. No. Crucifixion kills you by suffocating you to death. Because you're hanging on that cross. And, and every time you want to take a breath, you basically have to like lift your body up on these nails that are driven into your hands and feet, take a breath, and then you sink back down. And after a while, you're in so much pain, and, and you're so weak that you just can't lift yourself up anymore, and then you suffocate to death. I saw the soldiers broke the legs of the other two men in order for them to die quicker. It's, it's Passover. You know, we don't want these dead men hang, like, you know, like, hanging on these crosses during Passover. So the Jews say, can you break their legs so they would die faster? But what happened to Jesus? He said, you know, he drinks that sour wine and he says, it is finished. And he said, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The other gospel says the same thing. You know, he died basically on his on his term. He's like, this is the plan. This has been the plan from beginning, right? As soon as man fell from grace and a man and sin entered into the world, Jesus said, okay, this is the plan. This is how I'm going to bring redemption back into history. He, this was not a surprise to Jesus. He knew this was a path to take. And when he died, he didn't like die like ah. He died. He's like, you know what? I'm going to give up my spirit. It is finished. His work is done. He bore the cup. And, and, and so he gives up his spirit. And so he, they come to try to break his leg, but he's already dead. This wasn't a surprise to Jesus. This was the path. This was the cup. It wasn't just the death on the cross, but Jesus experienced what all of us should experience without him, which is death and separation from God. The punishment of the sin of the world was upon him. Matthew 27, 46 records it this way. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, he's realizing, not only is he going to die, but he's going to experience damnation. He's going to experience separation from the Father. And once again, I'm reminded of the words that Jesus said to Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting, but I might not, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And how is God's kingdom different from that of the world? And we can see it here in, in the crucifixion. And, and, and we see that the kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom of love. It advances with love. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Hebrew 12.2 Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. So Jesus, He's hanging on the cross. He's like, ah! For the joy that was set before Him. That joy is because He loves us. And we have to understand that it wasn't duty that led Jesus on the path of crucifixion. It wasn't an obligation. It wasn't his moralism, like, oh, this is the right thing to do. What led Jesus down the path of crucifixion was love. 
He faced this gruesome death and he faced the, the punishment of, of mankind upon his shoulder because he loved us. It's because he loved us so. It was his love that helped him to endure the cross. And also shows that Jesus' kingdom comes through sacrifice. Sacrifice and denial is a huge thing in the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't about self-preservation. He wasn't about to like save himself. He wasn't about focusing on himself. But his heart and his mind was set on us. As he hung on that cross, he was thinking about us. He was thinking about you. Like my, my people are going to know me. They're going to love me. And I'm going to save them. I'm going to save them and I'm going to be with them for eternity. We're going to enjoy love. We're going to enjoy peace. It wasn't about this. It wasn't about this like, I'm going to get mine. But it was a sacrifice. He was a sacrificial lamb. And this made no sense to Pilate. When Pilate saw this, he's like, Dude, like there's no guilt in this guy. I don't get it. What what is this guy about? Choosing to die when he could save himself. Why is he so silent? Don't you know that I can free you or I can crucify you? But Jesus was not concerned about himself, but he he had us in mind, right? Yeah, it, it was sacrifice, it was it was denial, he was denying himself for us. And this may make no sense to the world, but for the kingdom of God, it makes perfect sense. And thirdly, the kingdom is fulfilled, is a fulfillment of scripture. It's the sovereignty of God. Kingdom is all about the will of God. And we see so many times in this, just in this, this little, this passage that we read, we read where there's a fulfillment of scripture. Pilate, he's like, you know, I have the power to free you and I have the power to crucify you. And Jesus is like, no, you don't. Whatever power or authority that you have, it comes from above. And this was the plan all along. This has been God's will all along. And when the soldiers, they crucify Jesus, they take his garments and they, and they, they tear it up to take a piece of it because the cloth back then was very, you know, expensive. And then they, they find his tunic, which is like his, like, little robe thing. And it was like seamlessly woven. It was one, you know, one one lo- thing that was woven just all in one piece, and so they can't rip it, so they decide to cast lots. And and this was to fulfill the scriptures in Psalm twenty two eighteen, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And before the soldiers have a chance to break the legs of Jesus, he gives up his spirit, and he and he, he dies. And it's to fulfill Psalm 34, verse 20. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. And then the soldiers pierce his side and blood and water flowed, which is a sign of his death. And this was to fulfill Zechariah 12.10, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him. And we have to understand the cross is the ultimate fulfillment of not just scripture, but of the will of God. And the kingdom of God is all about fulfilling the will of God. When Jesus was on earth, all he talked, talked about it so many times. So many gospels, so many passages, so many verses. But he's like, it's not my will, but it's the Father's will, right? I came here to do whose work? The Father's work, right? 
And so the kingdom of Jesus, kingdom of God is the fulfillment of the will of God. And so from under reading this and from experiencing this and from understanding this, how are we as a church to respond? As we face the cross, as, as we face his kingdom, and as the people of God, how are we to respond? Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Worthy of the cross. How do we live a life that is worthy of the cross? Worthy of the gospel? And then the answer is we do this by living kingdom lives. Where our paradigm is that of the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world. When we are truly living kingdom lives, our lives should be radically different. Not just religiously different. The religious leaders, you know, they were different. They set themselves apart. A lot of people think that being radically different for God is like being like really religious. They don't do a certain thing. They don't go clubbing. They don't drink. They only listen to Christian music and only watch Christian movies, right? And judge others for doing these things. That's, that's not what we're talking about. That's not the radicalness that the gospel is about, right? Because you could do all those things and still miss Jesus, just like the religious scribes. But being radically different is not about being religious, but it's about holding fast to the things that are important to Jesus and His kingdom. It's being led by the principles of the kingdom and it's, and it's in line with what I talked about earlier, about the kingdom of God. About His kingdom. And it applies to us because we are His kingdom. How, where does the kingdom of God exist in this world today? It exists in us. You know, we, we are manifestation of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God on earth is not a location. It's not like in Israel. It's not even in Jerusalem right now. It's in our hearts. It's in the Spirit of God that reigns in the temple, the, the, the living temples that we are of the Spirit of God. We are the kingdom of God. When Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, what he's talking about is that like Jesus is near and as he dies and he rises again and we become Christians, we manifest the kingdom of God. The kingdom, of God, the kingdom reigns through us. And so, how are we to live? And, and the, I'm just going to give you a, f- a few examples that are very similar to what I gave you earlier. We love radically. And we love God and we love people radically. And here's the thing, love is not a feeling. I've said this many times in my sermon. We, we think love is like this, oh, I feel love. Right? And when we, when we start dating, oh, I love you, right? I remember the first time I said I love you to Mina was really early on in our relationship and she was like but I was like I really did I felt I had this feeling I was like I think two weeks after we were dating I was like I love you and she's like right I felt it I felt this feeling inside right but love is not just it's not a feeling it's action we love through our whole being if Jesus only felt love for us you know where we'd all be going we'd all be going to hell it only felt, it's like, oh God, I love you guys. You know, like, peace. And then he just stayed up in heaven. We'd all be going to hell. But he took action. He came down and he, he did his thing. He proved his love for us by dying on the cross for us. And so we are all to walk in love. Live in love. Every opportunity to love, we love. 
We care for those around us. We love, you know, like when people need help, we help them. And when, when somebody is like being like really bad to us, we forgive them. Doesn't matter what someone has done to us, we forgive because Jesus forgave us. We love God through our obedience. We love God through His Word. We love radically. We, you know, the radicalness of our love has to be that we love our enemies. How many of you guys can say you love your enemies? I don't know if I can, right? But that's the radicalness of God's love. Because, you know, the Bible says that we were enemies of God and yet He died on the cross for us, right? You know that, you know, as Jesus is hanging on the cross and those guys are saying, crucify him! Crucify him! He, he looked down upon him and said, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Because in his heart, he wasn't like, right, I'm gonna save these nice disciples of mine, but y'all, y'all going to hell. No! He said, I'm gonna die, I'm dying for you, all of you guys. You just have to believe in me. We are to love our enemies. This radical love, that's bonkers to me. But that's, that's how we are to live. Forgiveness, right? Some of us, we hold grudges. Some of us, we're not able to forgive. But Jesus says, forgive for, for He forgave us. So we're supposed to love radically. And, and next, we, we sacrifice radically. It means, this means we die to ourselves. We die to our flesh. Galatians 5.24 And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we are to live radically for the kingdom of God, we have to die to ourselves. We have to crucify our flesh. And the only way that we can do that is if we're living lives led by the Spirit of God. Uh, It says in Galatians 5, I want you guys to like go and read Galatians 5 this week, right? Such a good passage. But it's about living accordingly to the Spirit of God. A lot of people think, they think that living according to the Spirit is like cruise control, right? They just set it, Holy Spirit is in me, it's, it's good. It's like Tesla, have you guys seen the new Teslas? They have this thing called autopilot. And the car just drives for you, right? That's crazy to me, right? But a lot of us, we think that that's the way that, that, that our, our spirituality is supposed to be. I believe in Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit is in me, so it's just naturally supposed to just happen in our lives. But you know what? It's not automatic. It's a choice. We have to hear and we have to choose the leading of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come up to Tiffany and says, Tiffany, I want you to buy Caleb a Tesla. <laughs> and you're supposed to, okay, no, I'm just kidding. But it's, it's choices that we get all the time, right? Every day, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and gives us choices. Do you know that? He's giving us choices. Choose Him. And some of us believers, we think we could, we, we only, God only gives us choices about the big things, like, what am I going to do with my life? Or, who am I going to marry? Or like, you know, what's my career going to be? Or like, what is this? What are these major decisions in my life? But then God, Holy Spirit, is speaking to you about the little things every day. Hey, forgive that person because even though he was rude to you. No, no, forgive your boss even though 
she spoke to you in that way. I know that this sinks well to many of you guys as teachers, right? Don't get angry at that guy that was rude to you or cut you off. That speaks to my soul right now. Be kind to your wife. Be kind to your kids. And then what happens as you continue to live in step with the Spirit is Galatians 5, you know, living in, walking in step with the Holy Spirit, you find yourself dying to yourself and being alive in Christ. But you know what? It requires daily decisions and choices that Holy Spirit gives you saying, hey, do this. Choose me. Don't watch that. Come read the Bible. Don't watch that. Pray to me. Right? Right? You know, like, you know, don't do that and, and, and just follow me in this. They may, they may be simple and we may just ignore them because you know what? This is, God is only concerned about the big things. No, God is in the little things. You guys know about the minus, right? The, the talent. It was like, like I, I entrusted you with little and you were faithful. Now I'm going to entrust to you big things, right? But if you want God to entrust you with the big things, you have to be faithful in the little things. Those little moments where Holy Spirit is nudging your heart. Hey, right? That, that person is lonely, right? Go spend some time with them. You're like, ah, too busy, God. Right? I'll, I'll, I'll be there for you when you need the big things handled. They say, no. You know, that person needs your help right now. And you obey. And you're led by the Spirit of God. And that's what it is to die to yourself. That's what it is to pick up your cross daily. And that's what it is to sacrifice radically. Right? It happens in the little moments. And number three, we live radically for the will of God, for the fulfillment of God's will in us and through us. And this can only happen when we die to ourselves. right? And we live lives in the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's choosing God's will. When you continue to kill your flesh and you live in the spirit in the little things, all of a sudden God starts to speak to you about His His will. Big things. And then and, and we find ourselves at the center of God's will. Right? Where where our lives are a reflection of what God wants done on this earth. As Jesus went to the cross and he was, you know, and he surrendered his life, he birthed his kingdom. And the presence of his kingdom on this earth is you and me, the Christians. People that have been saved by the grace of Jesus. And as this week, Passion Week approaches and we will celebrate, you know, Easter, Resurrection Sunday next week, I believe this is an opportunity in us for some of those, some things to die. And today, you know, Tiffany, if you come up and play the music, I want us to, I want us to spend some time and, and really just come before the Lord. And I believe that God, you know, there, there, there's a, there's a, there's a few things in us that God wants us, wants to die. So as Tiffany plays some music, I want us to close our eyes and I want us to get into a, a, a posture of just, of prayer. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in, in crucifying some flesh. It may be, you know, something, maybe a, a sin that you have that needs to be broken off, you know, and you've been trying and you haven't been able to. 
or, or it might be an opportunity that God's saying is like, hey, I want you to, I want you to kill this in the flesh. I'm gonna give you the grace to do it, but you gotta bring it to me first. Bring it to me. Give me a genuine repentance and saying, God, I, I wanna, I wanna remove this from my life. Some of you guys might need, might need to forgive. There might be, there might be something that you're holding on to, unforgiveness in your heart. Somebody has wronged you. Somebody has hurt you. And you can't let go. And God's saying, you know what? I want you to kill this in your heart. It might be something that you feel, you feel hopeless about. Or somebody, some, something that's taken away your focus from God. There's something that's more important in your life than God. It might be your anxieties. It might be your fears. Your anxiety and fear about the future of what you will do might feel overwhelming. And God might be like, just bring, bring it to me so that you can be placed under the Lordship and the reign of Jesus Christ. So I want you guys to get into that place of prayer. I want you guys to close your eyes. And it's a personal thing. You guys don't have to stand up and raise your hand and testify. It's a personal thing. But ask the Holy Spirit, God, what do I need to kill? What needs to be crucified today? What in my heart, in my, in my, in my heart and in, in, in me is, is weighing me down? What is it that needs to be surrendered to you? What is it that I need to just like, I gotta just nail it to the cross and give it to you. I want you guys to spend some time in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. You know, the, the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is that He's the only one that brings true conviction. So if you genuinely ask, He will bring true conviction. Let's spend some time in prayer.